would there be? I, I hate to interrupt, but would there be any uh, any any? I know Dan usually starts later than this sometimes. So, so, so I, I well, this is still a couple minutes late, but still, uh, would there be an objection to starting now? And and since it's you know, I'm wearing like a a, a costume for like Halloween, <laughs> but uh, Dan is at the fire conference. And if you don't know what that is, um, you can ask any of the roots. <laughs> uh, but it's a conference of, of churches, and uh, he's fine. Everything's fine. I drove him to the airport, and he asked me if I could do this. So i uh, fill in for him, so I'm filling in for him. So, so, so I'm, I, I apologize that you're probably not getting as much as you wanted this evening, but thank you for coming out anyway. Uh, my name is Ray. Some of you don't know me. My name is Ray. Uh, I used to be pastor at another church, and so I've been teaching some here uh, since I came here as well. And uh, tonight we're going to be looking at Treasuring Christ. It says Treasuring Christ Part 1, if you didn't get a handout there near the door there. And, and that's because this is actually part of a series that I taught. I, I modified it somewhat for us tonight, but um, there might be a Part 2 if, if, if Dan needs me to fill in some other time. But we'll see how it goes. Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't want part two. Hopefully, though, you, you treasure Christ if you're a believer in Christ, and that's that's part of what we'll be looking at here tonight. Because we tend to forget, I think, um, all that we have in our salvation, and and the real we take for granted what we really have. And, it, and when you get right down to it, it's, it's amazing. So I hope it, at least to some extent tonight we'll get a sense of the amazingness of what we have in our salvation. Uh, before we begin, let, let me open with a word of prayer. Uh, Father, we ask that you would show us um, in your word just how worthy of being treasured and prized your son who we know is Jesus, our Savior, is, and that through the ages and through all of human history, his coming was the pivotal, pivotal event, and even in all of your creation, he is exalted beyond what we can even understand. Help us to, to, to see glimpses of that, and help us to look forward to the eternity that we will spend in his presence and yours. And we ask these things that you would be glorified in him, in his name. Amen. So I got a quote there for John Piper, which, which uh, this is a relatively old book, but, but if you haven't read it, I really highly recommend it. It's God is the Gospel. And the idea is that in salvation while we might think that we're just going to be saved from God's wrath and saved from the, the, the wrath and penalty of our sin, what God is actually giving us is himself. Uh, we're actually going to get an eternity with God. And we saw, we, in the earthly ministry of Christ, we saw glimpses of what that would be like. And even in our daily lives as Christians who live after the, uh, uh, after the birth and, and death and resurrection of Christ, we have glimpses in Scripture of what it's going to be like, and we can have tastes of it. And, and just getting that taste should whet our appetite for what is yet to come. Uh, 
John Piper says this, Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God. And people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It is a way to get people to God. It is a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things, then we have not been converted by the gospel. And so I hope that's not true of anybody here tonight. But it might be. It might be we've been kidding ourselves and, and, and maybe we, we kind of need a little eye-opener. And, and certainly when we're dealing with our friends and our, and our family and other people that we know who, who, who claim to be Christians, maybe we can encourage them in this. So to remind us of what the Scripture says about who Christ is and and that aspect of our kind of starting place here. Um, I have the outline there, and I, I'm just going to go through the scripture. You can you can you can fill in the blanks if you want to, but we'll talk about the blanks. They're, they're pretty straightforward. I just put it in there so that you can kind of think about what it's saying instead of just reading it fast. That's what I do. I I, I always tend to read something fast, and I don't like ask myself what it actually said. You know that that sometimes happens. Uh, the, the first point here is though that God, the Father, He regards Christ as a great treasure. His Son is really important to Him. If God the Father thinks His Son is really important to Him, then hopefully that will kind of shed on to some of us that God really thinks Christ is important God the Father thinks Christ is important. He should be important to us, too. And, and most of these scriptures are probably familiar to most people. Uh, this is Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This, of course, is, is when Jesus is baptized. And the context is really, you know, John the Baptist is pretty much the only one that we know of who heard this. Because Jesus didn't have other disciples yet, right? He's, he's being baptized. He's starting his ministry uh, after this. And so uh, this is, obviously it's in Scripture, so we're supposed to know what happened, but, but the main audience for this was probably John the Baptist. And the pronunciation from the Father, the Father in heaven declared, first, not only that this was his son, but he doesn't just call him, this is my son. He says, this is my beloved son. This is a son that I really, really love. This one right here. And then he also goes on and he says, because he didn't have to say this either, if you get right down to it. He says, I'm pleased with him. Now, if you think about something that you would regard as your life's treasure, if I asked you what, before this tonight, what was your life's treasure? You might say Christ, and, but, but, but if you really think about what... How would you define a treasure? It's something that you love. And it's something that makes you happy. It pleases you. And here, Jesus, the Father, God the Father, proclaims that Jesus does both those things. And, and so that's the beginning. That's the context. When we start thinking about who God, who, who God says Jesus is, who God the Father says Jesus is, 
um, if we start there, then then his importance and significance, maybe we can start working on that if we if we we lose sight of it. Yeah, we take Jesus for granted. Well, we shouldn't, because God the Father doesn't. The next verse there is uh, Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, which is also a quotation from Scripture. Uh, oh, sorry, uh, that wasn't that. Uh, that was a um, uh, in Matthew chapter 17, uh, verse 5 is Matthew's account of the transfiguration, right? And so it says, while he was still speaking, when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, "This is my beloved son." with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. Now, this is a different audience. God the Father is telling, and I put there in parentheses, I said, P, J, and J. Does anybody want to guess who P, J, and J is? Peter, Peter James, and John. Because they're with Jesus when the transfiguration happens, right? So they're disciples who hear this. And so they hear that the same thing that, that God the Father told to John the Baptist, this is my beloved son. So he's my son, and he's beloved, and I'm pleased with him. So the importance of Jesus to God the Father is made clear to these disciples. And imagine how, how, how earth-shattering that must have been for them. They might have, might have some, uh, some sense of that before this, but we know that that... Peter later on talks about this, that he heard the voice from heaven say this. But also, not only did the Father inform the disciples of that, but the Father also gave another instruction. The other instruction is listen to him, right? Pay attention to him. It's not just that, that, that I'm proclaiming who he is, but I'm saying it's really important that you listen to him. That that the importance of he, what he says is not lost on you. Uh, the next verse is Matthew chapter twenty-eight, uh, Matthew chapter twelve, verse uh, eighteen, uh, which is a kind of paraphrase of Isaiah chapter forty-nine. And this is what uh, uh, Matthew says: This was to fulfill the scripture that says, "Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased." I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. So this, even before the life of Jesus in the flesh, this is a proclamation by God the Father through the prophet Isaiah of how important his servant was going to be, Jesus. It was going to be someone who he chose. It's also somebody who he beloved and who was well pleased. You notice, you notice like that pattern there? <laughs> The Father loves and is pleased with the Son. And he pronounced that even before the Son came. So the Father um, loves the Son and also is pleased with them. And then Jesus himself says this in John chapter 3, verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. So not only do we have these proclamations by the Father that he loves the Son and that the Son is important to him and, and he, that the Son pleases him, but also the Father shows his love for the Son by giving him everything. By giving all things into his hand. 
that's the way that, that God the Father shows his love for the Son. That's what Jesus says in, in, there in John. Also in John chapter 5, verse 20. Um, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show him that you may marvel. So again, the Father is showing his love for the Son, not just by proclaiming who he is and proclaiming his love and, and being pleased with him, but also by showing him all that he, the Father, is doing. In other words, revealing everything to his Son. Then in, in John chapter 10, verse 17, Jesus says this, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. So at least one aspect of the love of the Father, one reason why the, the Father loves the Son and is pleased with him, is because the Son is going to basically give himself, give his life, to bring us. I mean, the, the, the implication of this when, when the son gave up his life, he did that to bring us to the Father. Uh, John chapter 14, and I, I, skipped, I skipped one verse there, but uh, John chapter 14, beginning with verse 21, says, Whoever has my commandments and keep them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then skipping to verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The Father shows how much he loves the Son. By Notice what it says there. Uh, if, if someone loves me, he will be loved by my Father. In other words, the Father's love for the Son is so great that anybody who loves the Son is loved by the Father. Anybody who loves the Son is loved by the Father. And then, what, what's more than that, uh, it also says that, that the Father is going to manifest himself, the, Jesus is going to manifest himself to that person who loves uh, Jesus, but then also going on in verse 23, we will come to him and make our home with him. In other words, the love, if we have love for the Son, that's how important the Son is to the Father. If we have love for the Son, the Father will love us and then have fellowship with us because of our love for the Son. They will make their home with us. They will, they will dwell with us. So the Father shows his love for the Son by that, by, by basically loving whoever loves the Son and by having fellowship with them. Uh, John chapter 16, verse 27 is where Jesus is saying this to the disciples. He says, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I come from God. So again, the Father shows his love for the Son by loving those who love him. The Son is so important to the Father. Then there's, there, there's another amazing thing here. Uh, that we take for granted because we, we're kind of used to this verse, you know, but uh, John chapter 8, verse 54. Jesus said, 
If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. God the Father thinks so much of Jesus that he glorifies him. God the Father glorifies the Son, gives glory to the Son. That is amazing because, of course, God says he's not going to share his glory with anybody. He doesn't give his glory to anybody else, but he gives his glory to the Son. And so when we um, see Jesus, we are seeing the one that God the Father glorifies, is pleased with, and loves. Basically, the one that God the Father treasures. And, and, and we, it's easy for us to take that for granted, but, but we should not. Yeah. Oh, I got my care. I think, I don't know if it works. Jesus said, none come to the Father except through me, and I I have to think he meant it. And I see people, not necessarily atheists, but pantheists, there's a lot of that kind of thing in the culture, you know, that um, people have a, a their own sort of estimation of what God is, and their own... Uh, perception, you know, of how that manifests itself. Okay, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. Pantheism, essentially. And uh, whether it's, you know, all the political aspects that religionists get into, or climate aspects, these kinds of things. And no, it's plainly, you have to go to Jesus and see it all through him, with him. So... And well, there, there's there's a common notion um, in some uh, even liberal Christian churches that there was more than one way to get to God, which Jesus obviously said, "No, you know, I'm the only way. I'm the way, the truth, and life." Right? Then on page two, I got uh, just a, some verses, and obviously you can find more verses if you start hunting for these. You'd find them all over the place, but. Here are some verses that talk about the Holy Spirit. So not only is God the Father treasuring Christ through all eternity, looking forward to the day that he would come, and then after he came, pointing out and glorifying him. But then Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit. This is John chapter 16. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Spirit is glorifying the Son. The Spirit glorifies the Son. So the Holy Spirit treasures the Son as well. As the Father, the Holy Spirit glorifies the Son, works to bring glory to Him. That's what, that's what Jesus says here. He will glorify me. And the Spirit does this by 
basically declaring who Jesus is. Taking what is mine and declaring it to you. And not only that, but he says he doesn't speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. So he declares through the word that he helps author, he, is, he, he inspires and breathe, God breathes, he makes sure that the glorification of Jesus takes place and that the words that he hears are expressed, by, you know, expressed to the apostles who, who then wrote it in the scripture. Uh, this is another place where Jesus talks about, this is actually previous to this, uh, where Jesus talks about the Spirit. John chapter 15 says, But when the Helper comes, I will send to you, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the uh, Father. He will bear witness about me. So the Spirit bears witness about who Jesus is. The Spirit wants to point to who Jesus is. The Spirit expresses the importance of Jesus. And then the Spirit comes from, uh, Jesus says, the Spirit comes from the Father, right? So, so the Spirit is sent by the Father. If the Spirit is sent by the Father, who treasures Christ, then the Spirit is going to express that when, when He comes and when He expresses and leads the apostles, for example, to write Scripture. Uh, but point, notice here, in, in the two points that, we, that I, I labeled 9 and 10, the two conclusions from the scripture, uh, the Father glorifies the Son and the Spirit glorifies the Son. In other words, if, as we believe in the Trinity, the triune God, that, that basically God is one, but he's Son, Father, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and the Father both glorify the Son. Now, why is Christ the treasure? There's all kinds of verses on this too, but, but I, I wanted to focus on this just because it's relatively accessible. And you can, you know, if you have your Bibles with you, you can go ahead and open up to Colossians chapter 1. But I've got it there in, in the ESV. But all of these, uh, this is, this is uh, many of us, I was talking to Dan about this also when I took him to the airport. Many, many people believe that this was actually an early hymn of the church. And regardless of whether it is or not, it's in the scripture, obviously, so uh, we, we believe it's true. And it's a very good, concise description of who the Son is, who Christ is. And when you think of all these things, when you maintain all these things, this is who that we are called upon to treasure and why he's worthy of being treasured by the Father, he's worthy of being treasured and glorified by the Son, and he's worthy of being treasured by us. First, he is the image of the invisible God. Now, if he is an image of the invisible God, it doesn't say he is an image of the invisible God. It says he is the image of the invisible God. We, you and I, are images of God. We're made in God's image, right? But we're imperfect. Jesus Christ is the perfect image of the invisible God. He's not like Adam. 
Adam was an image of, of God, but of course the difference is he was a flawed image and he sinned. And therefore we are also flawed images. The point is, there's no other way to see God perfectly except through Christ. We cannot see the invisible God except through what we can read about in Christ. And we can read about God the Father and God in the Old Testament, but, but the best image that we have, as the author of Hebrews says, is Christ. It also says he is the firstborn of all creation. He is related to mankind in that sense. But the firstborn is more than just like he, he was the perfect you know, thing. It doesn't mean he was created, by the way. He is a perfect being. But he is really the one who it all belongs to. The firstborn is the one who inherits everything. And, and so he is the one who inherits all of creation. But he was not created, even though he's the firstborn, he's the, he's the owner, he's the heir. Then it goes on, and, and just in case we think he's created, no, he's not created, because it says right there, for by him all things were created. Adam was created, in a sense, by him. Whether you want to say by him or through him. Uh, so are all we. So is everything you see. So is, so is the universe. That's, that's, by the way, what the author of Hebrews points out, right? The whole thing was created by him. In heaven and on earth. So, so Jesus, the Son, who was Jesus in the flesh, but before that even, he was responsible for a creation of everything in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. So, so we, we can see things that, that he created, but we, you know, gravity, you know, dark matter, whatever we can't see, he made it too. And then going on, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. So basically every authority, every authority was, was basically forged by the sun. Everything we're worried about, everything we're concerned about. And then it continues in the end of verse 16. All things were created through him and for him. And I find it very uh, astonishing and even helpful when I'm going through struggles. I don't know, maybe you've had a bad week. I've had kind of a mediocre week, but I've had to deal with lawyers. Any week that you have to deal with lawyers, unless you are a lawyer, is, is not necessarily a good week. Um, <laughs> And, and, you know, things going wrong and, you know, the whole thing. So, so when you look around, you look around this room and you ask yourself, every molecule in this room, everything in this room was made ultimately through Christ for Christ. Everything was made through him for him. Every person you meet, 
Every person you meet was made through Christ for Christ. We are made by him for him. And, and even, even sinful people were made by him and for him. They, 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 they may not uh, be used and, and be used for the purposes that we would think that a human being should be used for. But they were made through him and for him. So if you wonder what the meaning of life is, everything around you was made for Christ, through Christ. It belongs to him. Everything. Everything belongs to him. Every wonderful thing. So the lawyer that causes your problems, oh, that was made, oh, that was made for Christ. That was made for Christ. That was made through Christ, or if you prefer, by Christ, for Christ. It was made for Christ. So, so, so my interactions dealing with them—that's that's that's for Christ too. Good things and bad things, all things, and so there's no authority greater than Him. There's no power greater than Him. There's no legal thing that's greater than Jesus. No legal thing is greater than Christ. All things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things. That is, He was before anything. There's nothing he doesn't know. There's nothing he didn't know about. He's before all things. And in him, by his power, all things hold together. In other words, the universe would fly apart if it wasn't for him. Whatever is existing the way it exists. And, and you know, the molecules that make up the chair that you're sitting in. The only reason why those molecules are in that place that they are, forming that chair that you can sit in, is because Christ is holding them together. Everything is under his control. Everything. The car, the car that bashes into you. The, 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 the little flower that grows up in your front yard. All those things are held together by Christ. He is the head of the body of the church. So when we gather together in any kind of meeting where we're talking about Christ, he's, he's in charge of what we're doing. He's in charge. He's the reason why we're here, but he's also in charge of the, of the church. And, and, and when individual churches do things that are kind of, you know, depart from what he wants, well, he, he's, he's over in control of everything. He, sometimes he's doing things to make his glory more magnified by, by things that happen that, that temporarily are setbacks, and sometimes he's doing things just to show, oh, you know what, I'm going to make something greater out of this, this disagreement or this whatever is happening. And all you got to do is look through the Old Testament, and you see that, and you look through the New Testament, you see that. He's, he's guiding and directing in the New Testament. He's guiding and directing the church. Constantly. He's the head of the body, the church. He's also the source of all the strength. Of the, that's also another meaning of the head, besides being the boss, right? He's the source of strength in the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So I think I, you could, he's already, uh, Paula here is already, and, the, and the, the hymn is already talked about Jesus being there in the beginning of creation. But besides that, He's the beginning of the church, right? 
So Christ is the beginning of the church. Whenever we think about the church, we got to make sure we don't forget that Christ is the beginning of the church. And that he was the first to be raised from the dead in a resurrection that we haven't experienced yet. The resurrection that we're looking forward to, Christ has already been there. And, and so, so we might worry about you know, when we get sick and something happens and you know, we're at the, our deathbed and stuff like that, we can look forward to the fact that Christ has already been there. Christ already died. He already rose again. And he went first. He wasn't like the last. It wasn't the only one who rose from the dead. We're going to rise from the dead. He led the way for us, though. That's the point. He's the firstborn from the dead so that in everything he might be preeminent. Now that, that word in, in the ESV might be kind of challenging because we don't use that word very often. That's why I don't think I use that word once every five or six years besides the scripture. So does somebody want to tell me, what does it mean to be preeminent? Super, okay, that's pretty good. Uh, he's number one. And it's not just like, you know, something that, you know, you carry a, you know, a foam, you know, foam thing to a birth, to a, uh, a, a football game or something like that, saying, you know, I'm number one. Uh, no, he's number one. He's the, he is the most important thing in the universe. He is the most, God the Father thinks he's the most important thing in the universe. The Holy Spirit thinks he's the most important thing in the universe. To us, he should be the most important thing in our universe, really. The one we think about, Christ is it. He's the most important thing in the universe. I know, we worry about things that are happening. Oh, I worry about I have to call back this lawyer. Oh, I worry about how I have to go to the dentist. Oh, I worry about how I got to get my car fixed. Oh, I worry about going to work tomorrow. I worry about paying my bills, right? You, and, and we all do that. The most important thing in the universe is none of that. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Not only is it Jesus, but it's Jesus who, as we will see, wants to be in a close relationship with us. In everything, he, all the stuff you see, he's the most important. He's the central important thing. He's preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That is... Everything, uh, the, the, the Greek there says, when it says fullness of God, that's translated in the ESV, it, says, it means all that fills, all that could fill, all that could be, could, could, could complete God was in his son. In the flesh, 2,000 years ago, and now still is. After the resurrection, Jesus is still alive, right? Christ is still alive. And so everything, all the godness of God, all the completeness of God is in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. So basically through, through Christ, God is bringing back to himself everything, including us. He's bringing, it's not just he died to save us from our sins. He died to bring us back to God. 
whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Not only does he reconcile us to him, but now there's peace. There's no, there's no more uh, punishment or threat of punishment for our sin. All of that is what, just as a reminder, what Christ did on the cross and who Christ is now. Now Jesus, who is the treasure, Jesus is the treasure, treasured by the Father, treasured by the Holy Spirit, who should be treasured by us, who, who is proclaimed as this in Colossians 1. Jesus wants us to choose him as our treasure. And, and when you start noticing this, you say, oh, you know what, I always thought that was just about salvation, meaning I, 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 won't, I won't die for my sins. Well, no, he's doing more than that. He's saying, I want you to have more than that. I want you to have something really, really good. No one, no one no, they don't have game shows and say, we're going to give you this big treasure, but it's going to be really lousy. It's something that you already have. It's you already got in your backyard or whatever. No, it, it's, it's and, and game shows are nothing compared to Jesus. <laughs> Jesus wants to give you a treasure, something that really is important and good and great and fantastic and wonderful. And by the way, Jesus is awesome in, in every sense of the word, unbelievably inspiring awe. But here's what Jesus says. And now when you read this, you might say, oh, you know what Jesus is talking about? He's talking about salvation. He's talking to the disciples here. Here's the context. He's talking here to the disciples. This is Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, many of us who are Christians for many years have read that many times and the different versions of it that are in the different Gospels. But Jesus is saying something important. He wants his disciples to have this treasure. And he's telling them what not to do. Don't look for treasures on earth. Every time we get sidetracked and we think we're going to find a treasure on earth. Oh, finally I found my dream house. Oh, finally I found my, my best car. Finally I've got my best life now. Whatever it is. Jesus said, don't do that. <laughs> don't, just don't do that. Because if you put anything on earth, and he, you know, we know this, moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, basically it's not going to last it just doesn't last. I've never had a car not break down. I've never had a car that, that didn't need repairs. I never had a house that didn't need repairs and start breaking apart and falling apart and it cost you more to maintain. There's nothing like that. But you know what? The treasure in heaven isn't like that. And the treasure in heaven is Christ. That's the treasure in heaven. Look to Christ. Get Christ. We can have pieces of him now. We can have, uh, understand him and, and experience him now as a foretaste of what we're going to have ultimately. The better place to look for or to lay up treasure is in heaven. 
because it ain't going to go away. It's there forever. Because Christ is there forever. And that's, if we're Christians, that's where we're going to be anyway. So all the stuff we're trying to, you know, uh, oh, I want my 401k to be perfect and all that stuff. Jesus is saying, don't worry about that. And, and the treasure principle is this. Where you actually think of your treasure, that's where your heart is going to be, where your emphasis is going to be, where all your priorities are going to be. Your priority is going to be on what you actually think is your treasure. If I think my house is my treasure, I'm going to be living for my house. If I think my car is really great, I'm going to be living for my car. And, I, and my ups and downs in life are all going to be based on that, right? Our ups and downs, our, our, our desires and our wishes and our hopes and our dreams and all of our, our aspirations, our emotions should be in heaven with Christ. Not ups and downs on things that, that you know, thieves can break in and steal and moths can, can uh, destroy. Jesus wants to give himself to us fully, completely, that we would regard her as, him as treasure and be fulfilled. The next, the next uh, passage there, and you can find more of these, there are a ton of them. Uh, I left off deliberately the ones where Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler because I think that's about salvation. Not that that's not, not that that also doesn't involve Christ. I just, I'm leaving that one off. Um, but this is one where he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is Luke chapter 12. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide for yourselves, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So again, this is a repetition, although he has the other uh, passage in there, about not looking at earthly possessions. Now, I don't think that this necessarily means that, that you have to sell all that you have and give everything, but you could. And I think if it's getting, if, if my car is getting in the way of my really thinking of Christ as my treasure because I'm, I'm really divided with this car. Maybe I should. Oh, you do have, uh, Mike, Mike is over there. The mic? Oh, did you get I've often uh, wondered why Christ doesn't explicitly connect the treasure being himself in these two passages and instead um, leaving it hanging that the things on earth shouldn't be your treasure. Things in heaven should be your treasure, but it's not really a thing. It's a person. Um, I should be your treasure. Um, you know, God should be your treasure. Um, why isn't that so... Why do you think he doesn't just say that so explicitly? Um, well, and then one place where he does that is with the rich ruler. Basically, he says, he says um, sell all that you have and you will have treasure in heaven and follow me. And basically, so, so he's linking himself to that, right? But, but um, uh, I think for this one, the reason why I put this one is, is he points out, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is, is the treasure that we're going to get, right? Now, what does the kingdom of heaven entail? Does it entail, this is, I think, 
where we have to think correctly about what heaven's like. I don't think heaven is where we're all going to have really good cars and really nice houses. I mean, we're all going to have a place, right? He's going to make a place for us. But the place is where Jesus is, right? If you read Revelation, what's, what's heaven like? It's where, you know, there, there doesn't have to be a sun because the, 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 the S-O-N of God is the, is the light, right? He's the light of everything. So, so we're, we're going to be enjoying him forever. And, and that's what heaven is like. And that's what, like the John Piper passages, if you don't want to be where there, where, I know some people say, I want to be in heaven but I don't want to be where Jesus is. Well, <laughs> you don't want to be in heaven because that's where Jesus is going to be. And so I think that's, you know, uh, he doesn't always come out and say it, but I think it's always implied. I think if you start reading the verses and you think, well, you know what he's talking about. He's talking about, when he talks about the treasure in heaven, he's talking about being with him, because we know it's going to be with him, in, in, in the future kingdom. Well, then you start realizing, you know, who, who am I going to be, what am I going to be doing in that future kingdom? Well, we may be doing things, for him and with him and serving him. But if you think about like in the um, passage in Isaiah where, you know, the, the host is around the throne and they're, they're, you know, saying, holy, 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 the whole world is full of your glory. That's, that's a picture of what it's going to be like, I think, to some extent. Um, so, so while he doesn't explicitly say, you're going to get me, he does say it in some places where he says, you know, follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. But uh, I think that's implied here. We are to provide ourselves with the treasure in heaven by seeking him. That's more or less what he's saying here, by seeking him. Uh, and he, he goes on and he says this. He goes like in Matthew chapter 13. That was Luke. This is Matthew chapter 13. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now what that means is, there's something that's so important that nothing else is as important. I mean, I, you, whether you talk about selling, actually, oh, I got to sell my possessions. No, but, but that may not be the implication for everybody. But it is certainly, there's something so important that nothing else is nearly as important. And that's the parable of the treasure in the field. So, obtaining the treasure means you're making it a priority. Nothing else is as important as getting that treasure. The other, the other verse is the next one, right? That's uh, Matthew chapter uh, uh, 13, verses, uh, verse 46, actually. Oh, actually, four, 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. There's nothing as is important. Jesus has said this over and over again, right? Don't, don't have treasure on earth, have treasure in heaven. There's nothing as is important as the treasure in heaven. Now, to make that connection, we've got Paul. And Paul really, really makes, it, makes the connection that, that the treasure is Jesus. Treasure is Christ. Because he says this. This is uh, Colossians chapter 3. We've talked about Colossians chapter 1, right? He, he is preeminent. It doesn't say, you know, I mean, look, look back at what we did when we read chapter, uh, Colossians chapter 1. Um, 
In everything, he is preeminent. What does that mean? That means in heaven he's preeminent. He's the one that we're going to get in heaven. But then Paul is saying this in Colossians chapter 3. If you then have been raised with Christ, meaning you've died, in, you know, you've died, you've died, you're no longer you know, living to sin, and you've died, and you've now been you know, raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are in the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So, those who have been raised with Christ, and the word, he, he says, is to seek. That means you strive for, and you don't give up striving. We're supposed to seek the things that are above. And that, that goes along, you know, right along with what Jesus said. Don't build up your treasure on earth. Don't start you know, seeking after things on earth. But seek the treasure that is above. Right? Seek the things that are above where Christ is. So that, that's a pretty close association, right? When we're seeking the things above, we're seeking Christ. In verse 2 he says, um, set your mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth. So again, this, the, the earth versus, versus heaven. The, the heavenly treasure versus earthly treasure. He says right out, don't seek things, don't set your mind on things that are uh, on earth, set your mind on things that are uh, above. So again, it's comparable to the laying up of treasure on earth versus putting treasure in heaven that's both in Matthew 6 and Matthew 12, or Matthew 6 and Luke 12. And the spiritual life, truth about our lives is basically in verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So if we're Christians, if we believe in Christ, that he came, he was sent by the Father, he lived a sinless life. He lived without any sin. He was perfectly obedient to his father. As a matter of fact, we saw the verses where the father was well pleased with him, right? And yet, he still died on the cross. And he bought us with his blood. He paid for our sin with his blood on the cross. We when he died, the old us died. Our sinful nature died. And we're now in Christ. Our only hope for life is in Christ. We're, we're, we believe in him and our only hope is in him. So we've died. We're dead. We need to start thinking of ourselves as dead. Then Paul goes through that you know, in Romans. He goes through it here in Colossians. We should think of ourselves as, at least with regard to sin and so forth, dead. We're dead to sin. We're dead to the things of the world. And our life is hidden with Christ and God. Now, where is Christ right now? Here's like a, a, a trivia question. Where is Christ right now? He's in heaven right now, Father. So if our life is really with him, where, where is our life really? It's, it's with him. Right now. Now, we, didn't, we don't have that full treasure. 
right? We don't have that full treasure. The way I like to think about it is we, we, we and, and, and Peter makes reference to this to, to, as well, but, but we can kind of, like, there's a bank account. This is, uh, I know this is not a perfect analogy, but it's an analogy that sometimes we can think of. It's like a bank account that's in heaven that we can you know, withdraw from, but that bank account's still there. So we can get promises. We can get, you know, he gives us very precious promises that we can take advantage of now and so forth. We get glimpses of what our future is like. But that treasure is in heaven. It, it's preserved from us, for us, right? It's kept for us. That's even what, what Peter says. You know, there's, there's an inheritance that's kept for us in heaven. Peter, uh, Peter says that, and here Paul is saying it. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So, Christ is our treasure. He is our life. But when he appears, we will get the fullness of the glory. We'll get the fullness of what, what everything is. The permanence of this is that when he appears, we will be with him. We'll get, we'll get a full understanding of what uh, his, his treasure is. Paul also says this about how important this is. This is in Philippians chapter 3. And I don't have the whole passage here, but I got some of it. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 7, Whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. That's how important Christ is as a treasure, as, as something to pursue. Paul considers everything he had as lost. Everything. Everything he has is lost. And it's worth losing for the sake of Christ. He's lost it for the sake of Christ. If you can't have, you can't have both, I'll take Christ. And he goes on in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So he, he again repeats the same idea. His accounting is that. Okay, I got two things. Like I got a little balance sheet here or whatever. Right? I count everything as lost so I can have the surpassing worth. Now that sounds like a treasure, right? <laughs> the surpassing worth beyond the worth of everything else I have is Christ. So I can have the surpassing worth of Christ. I'm going to count anything else as lost. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. He says it again. Paul suffered the loss of all things. And then it says, Paul counts them as, and then the ESV says rubbish. So the word there, uh, you know, there's a big debate about whether Paul is actually swearing or whatever. But, but no matter what he says, and no matter whether it was thought of as being a, you know, a scandalous word at the time, it basically means dumb. It means waste. It means like, oh, if you if you lived in a time when you had uh, uh, when you had um, 
like a bedpan or something like that. It means like what's in the bedpan, right? That's what it means. I'm going to count everything like that. It's not good for anything. It's just, it needs to be thrown away. I'm just going to count everything I have as that. Because compared to Christ, that's what it is. Christ is something I love. Christ is what God the Father says. He loves. Who he glorifies. Whom is he beloved and he's pleased with it. And so I should be so pleased with it that everything else doesn't matter. That's the comparison. He thought this way in order to gain Christ, in order to gain what we're going to have and experience fully in Christ. And that primarily, uh, the kingdom of heaven, it's the Father's pleasure to give us the kingdom, but you know who's going to be in the kingdom? You know who's going to be the most important? You know who's preeminent in the kingdom? And for that matter, in all creation, it's Christ. So So the sooner we adopt this idea that we're going to pursue Christ and treasure Christ, and enjoy him as much as we can now, and enjoy him forever, uh, the more we're going to be in line with what we have been created. Remember, we, not only, not only are all things created by him and for him, that means that you're created by him and for him. I'm created by him and for him. My purpose in life is the purpose that he made me for. And that's to glorify him, to honor him, and to treasure him. And desire him above all things. Does anybody have any other uh, comments they want to make? Okay, let me close this in prayer. Father, we thank you for uh, your word and thank you for giving us your son and the glory that uh, you have given him and that your Holy Spirit has, has showered him with. We ask that you would help us in some way to be part of glorifying him as well. And we thank you for your mercy and for giving us the kingdom that is the kingdom of your son. You have transferred us from the domain of darkness into the domain of your beloved son. Uh, we ask that you help us to live like that, not, not be distracted by the things of the world, but that we would glorify and desire him above all things. We ask these things and your blessing on all of us here. Help us to be safe as we get home. Help us to go through the rest of the week with this and and meet again, as you would will, on Sunday to praise and worship you. In the name of your son, Jesus, we ask these things for your glory and him. Amen.